The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 6, 5 through 13. The word of God speaks to us. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. And you, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word to us. All right, well, good morning, guys. It's good to, uh, to see you and be with you today. If you've got a Bible, open up to the passage that was just read there in Matthew chapter 6. Um, my name is Chad Kinser. I serve as one of our pastors, and uh, we're continuing on uh, in this summer series we're doing called Rhythms of Grace. What we're trying to unfold this summer uh, are the common practices, the regular practices that are appropriate for disciples of Jesus, the, the practices, the habits, things that would form us into growth as his disciples, habits and uh, practices that if we were to be dropped into any point uh, in the world or any time period of the church, we would find Christians all over the world doing these very same things. We're not trying to be innovative in this series. We're not trying to make something up in this series. Josh kicked it off a few weeks ago um, with a passage of scripture from Jeremiah 6. It said, actually, we want you to look at the ancient paths. Look at the old things, tried and true things that God's people have always done across all time and all space to be formed by people of his presence, by people of his word, and by people who would make a difference in this world for his namesake. Amen? And so today, we're going to take up the practice of prayer, the practice of prayer. So would you please pray for me as I pray for you as we think about the practice of prayer today? Father, we, we, come to this, we come to this subject today. We come to the, the practice of prayer today, even, even now as I pray, aware of how often I don't do what I ought to do. Father, thank you that even as we offer this prayer today, we're not, we, don't have to be, we don't have to be confused as to whether or not you would hear us, or we don't have to even wonder whether or not you want to hear our prayer or help us in this hour because we're deficient. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus, which gives us confidence that you'll actually help us this hour. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus, who's even praying for us right now as we pray to ask your help this hour. And so, Father, for the variety of places we come into this room, thinking about prayer, the effectiveness of prayer, our confusion about prayer, our doubt whether or not prayer even works. God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you meet us in every individual place that we are? You know how to parse through a single sermon into individual hearts. So I ask that you would do that today. I ask that you would help us today. I ask that you would meet us today 
for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by his mercy, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And to the glory of the Father, we offer this prayer. And we said, amen, amen. Well, several years ago, when my oldest daughter was around six years old, uh, I, was putting, I was putting our girls to bed, and we were praying before bedtime. And uh, I was starting into my prayer. I'd already kind of said a first few words, and my daughter interrupted me. And she said, hey, where is God? <laughs> putting her to bed. Very junior varsity question at that hour of the night, right? Where is God? And I said, well, God is everywhere. She looked at me with a confused look, and she says, so he's on the roof. And I said, well, kind of, kind of. And she looked back at me a bit more confused. And uh, so I did what any good father would do in that moment. I started downloading for her the incommunicable attributes of God there at bedtime. Highly understandable, highly relatable, just sort of moving on down the road. She looked at me all the more confused. I promise I didn't do that to her. But I think that some of the tension my daughter felt that night actually addresses some of the tension that we feel with prayer, that that we feel with prayer. There are certainly times that we pray that are filled with confidence and assurance, and we We believe deeply that we have God's ear and he cares about the things that we're praying about. But other times, and maybe maybe even to be honest to say more times than those, there are times we pray where we're confused and we're not filled with that same kind of assurance. We're left with questions. Maybe you're here with these questions today. Does prayer really work? Are we just sort of saying sweet nothings into the air? Are these just warm thoughts we're sort of saying to pick ourselves up with that we offer out there with a bowed head and closed eyes? We think about times we've been let down by God, or we feel as though we've been let down by God. We wonder where where is he? Relationships that we prayed deeply to be repaired, and they weren't. Healings that we prayed earnestly that would come about, and, and, and they didn't. A loved one's life that we prayed, God, would you spare it? Would you keep it? Would you save them from death? And then they they breathe their last. We think about moments in prayer where we just don't feel good enough, right? Like we just we just don't feel like God wants to hear from someone like me. And so better for me just to sort of keep my mouth closed. I can't seem to stay on the right track. I have the same sins that are still owning me, that I'm asking forgiveness for. Surely he's tired of forgiving me for sins like these. I barely have enough faith anyway. We don't feel good enough in prayer, so we're, we're inhibited. And we have another question. Can we really trust God? <laughs> even if he does hear my prayers, and even if he does want to hear from someone like me, like, can I trust him? Like, can, can I really say it out there and sow it in Jesus' name, and then can I trust him to do good with that? prayer. In a world abounding in chaos like ours, with all kinds of suffering in the world that we see, prayers that we've sowed, can we trust God? Wouldn't we be better off, sometimes we wonder, controlling what we can and just doing what we can and letting the chips fall where they may? You see, we can get so lost in our anxieties. Me too. We can get so lost in our anxieties about prayer that we often forget, in the midst of those anxieties, what prayer really is. What is prayer? Why we pray and who is God? 
And so to be honest, just on my end, as we take up this topic today, where I'm at as I stand to preach today, there's nothing like preaching a sermon on prayer that's made me face this week how deficient I am in prayer. (laughs) I don't preach to you today as an expert, although I wish I was. As a fellow practitioner, and as one who's taking up, trying to take up an honest life with God, I want to be honest enough with you to say that I'm wildly unsatisfied. I'm wildly unsatisfied in my own prayer life. Several times this week, as I would bow my head to pray about this sermon, about anything else, I had this moment, maybe you've had these moments too, where you bow your head, and there's just nothing there. There's just nothing there. You're trying to sort of enter into an honest place of prayer, but you got nothing. And it's not just that you don't know what to say. That'd be one thing, wouldn't it? It's not that you just know what to say, but it's that you also aren't sure what you're feeling. (laughs) And it's that you're also not sure if you even feel anything. And yet you're there and you're trying to pray. We'll come back to that in a moment, but I think it could be fairly said of us as Christians that we are a believing people. We are a believing people with a prayer problem, amen? We're a believing people with a prayer problem. Our problem as we come to this topic today is that you and I, um, especially for those of you who've grown up in Bible Belt America, whatever's left of it, you and I know far more about prayer than we actually practice. We know far more about prayer than we actually practice. So let me give you my hope today as we jump into the sermon. My hope today is to deliver quite an unimpressive sermon about prayer. I want this sermon to be quite unimpressive, not because I didn't prepare hard enough this week. I actually prepared really hard this week. And not because I don't think that prayer is all that important. It's actually quite the opposite. As I've prepared and I've tried to address my own challenge with prayer, I've tried to come back with, I've come back with how important and how absolutely critical a life of prayer before the face of the living God is for you and me. It's absolutely critical. But I want today to be unimpressive to the degree that it's the most non-judgmental, guilt-free sermon you've heard on prayer. That's what I want today. I want you to leave remembering Very little about my delivery in this sermon, but I want you to leave today all the more clear on what prayer is and compelled to take a step of growth in prayer. That's what I want today. And so the most helpful and liberating thing that I've ever encountered on prayer is the depth and simplicity of the teaching of Jesus on prayer and his model prayer given to us in Matthew chapter 6. So pick up with me again in verse 5. And Jesus says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, I want you to go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. So the first thing Jesus does here in this teaching on prayer is tell us how not to pray. Like how, how not to pray. The first thing he says is don't perform. Jesus says the hypocrites, they're, they're people who actually love to pray. So far as it goes, that's a good thing. They love to pray, 
but they love to pray so that they may be seen by others. A bad thing. <laughs> a bad thing. And so Jesus is saying here how not to pray. If you want to be noticed by others in your prayer life, you can do that. You can achieve that. If that's something that you want, if you want the good religious opinions of others, that's something that you can actually achieve. But that's also your reward, and it stops there. If that's what you want, you can do that. You see, he's trying to help us to see that the good opinions of others don't actually help us much before the, uh, they don't actually help us before the face of the living God, <laughs> who sees right through all your prayers, who sees right through all of your, per- the, the, the sort of the perceptions you're putting out there, he sees right into your heart. So he says the first thing, don't perform. The second thing, he says don't use too many words. This interesting phrase, don't heap up empty phrases when you pray. This is an interesting statement because when Jesus says this, he's saying it into a first century moment with both the pagan and Jewish religious communities that were overburdened by prayer. The pagans believed that if their gods were to hear them, they would have to show them how serious they were, how devout they were. And so they would spend time chanting and yelling all of these phrases to try to somehow get their gods' attention. Jewish people, on the other hand, had in that moment 18 benedictions that they were to say three different times a day, two different Shema confessions, a portion of the Old Testament, table prayers before the meal, during the meal, after the meal, doxological prayers as often as they could possibly say them. This was a cultural moment that was overburdened with prayer. That actually held people back from being a prayerful people, or to think that they could ever be formed into being a prayerful people. So Jesus is saying, in the midst of that moment, don't use too many words when you pray. Keep it simple. Keep it plain. This is an amazing line. Say, the most liberating and helpful thing I've read on prayer is what Jesus says here. Let that sink in. Jesus is actually saying, when you pray, use less words. Use less words. Scholar Frederick Bruner says it this way. Prayer is not an intelligence briefing before God. It is, though, an intelligent conversation with God. The paradox of prayer is that only when it's relieved of the necessity of much will people experience the freedom of much. When disciples know they don't have to pray much, they will surprisingly desire to pray more. <laughs> You'll desire to pray more. You don't have to put on a show, maybe to say it plain, you don't have to put on a show to earn God's attention. Whether or not you care about the opinions of others, you care about God's opinion, and Jesus is actually saying, you don't have to put on a show to earn his attention. You don't have to wave your arms to get him to notice you. You don't have to do it. Why? Why is that the case? Why is he telling us this? Look at verse 8. Jesus says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So there's no convincing God. You don't have to convince Him to give you a hearing. You don't have to beg Him to bend His ear to you. If He's your Father, what Jesus is suggesting, right to the point will do. Right to the point will do. Very often my kids will just yell, Dad. They'll just yell it, and very often it feels to me as loud as they can possibly yell it in my house, right? They'll yell, Dad, and 
most of the time when they do that, I, they don't need to explain why they're yelling my call sign in the house to sort of just feel the, the top gun, you know, rhythms here. They don't have to explain why they're yelling my name. They just simply call it out, and that's enough to turn my head. That's what Jesus is getting at here with prayer. Calling out. That's the point he's making with God and with prayer. And so I want to ask a quick question here before we move to the bulk of the model prayer. What would change, what would change about your prayers? What would change about your life if you really believed that you didn't have to impress God? What would change about your prayers if you really believed, I don't have to impress God, I don't have to cover anything over, I don't have to sell him or convince him why he should listen to me. What would change about your prayers if you really believed that? Your father, Jesus says, knows what you need even before you ask him. Now in what follows in this passage, Jesus moves from telling us how not to pray to giving us the model prayer in verses 9 to 13. And we're going to work through it in four different parts, and I've actually borrowed and modified an outline that comes from Tim Keller's great book on prayer, simply called Prayer. And so the first thing I want you to see today is that prayer is the nearness of God and a deep breath. Prayer as nearness and a deep breath. Notice verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this, first two words, our Father. Pray then like this, our Father. This is a breathtaking thing that Jesus gives us in this prayer. This is the only time in any of the gospel accounts where Jesus uses this phrase, our Father. Every other time he will either say, my Father, or when talking to the disciples, he'll reference God as your Father which is already grace upon grace, but when Jesus says, our Father, he's doing something breathtaking. To quote again from Bruner, he says, when Jesus gives us the right to call his Father by the address, our Father, he's passing on something of his own priceless relation to God. This is Jesus' greatest gift in the Lord's Prayer. Without much celebration, it just passes through two words, right? Without much celebration in this simple text, believers are adopted into the family of God. In this simple word, our, is the joy of the whole gospel. We will never be able to calculate the honor that has been done us by being allowed to say, our Father. So Jesus came to make his Father our Father. Notice here, there's no favorites. (laughs) There's no exceptions. It's not that some Christians have God more as their father than other Christians. Jesus is letting us lay hold of God the same way that he does. He's telling us to say with him, literally what's happening in this first beginning of the model prayer, Jesus is literally putting the words in our mouth and asking us to join him and say, our Father our Father. And so maybe just to be honest for a moment here, no matter how bad your experience has been with your earthly father, every one of us in the room knows the ache inside of what a father is supposed to be. Even if you've had a bad father, you kind of know deep down what a father is supposed to be. And this is what Jesus is trying to show us about God. The only danger for you and me in thinking of God as Father 
The only danger for you and me in encountering and saying with Jesus, our Father, is that you and I would go on through our lives thinking and encountering God too little in this way. That's the only danger. It's impossible for your thoughts, it's impossible for your hopes of what a good father is supposed to be to outstretch the character of God. You possibly, you can't possibly outdream God and what he is as a good father. You can't do it. And so I want to wrap up this first point today before moving on by doing something a little bit different. And we'll do this at the end of the, the next three points as we move. I want to give you 30 seconds. You're hearing about prayer today. You're hearing about who God is. I want to give you 30 seconds to practice this. And so right there, quietly and personally, where you are, I want you to offer the Our Father prayer to God. Maybe as you offer it, ask him, help me to see more clearly who you are as my father and who I am as your son or daughter. Take up 30 seconds with God. Jesus, thank you for the words, our Father. Jesus, thank you for letting us say those words, and so together we want to say, our Father. Help us believe. The second point I want to pick up here on prayer today is prayer as adoration. Prayer as adoration. Pick up again with the rest of the sentence in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, he finishes, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This is a prayer that God's name, that God's reputation, that his character, that his honor, that everything that he is would be celebrated, would be praised, would be honored, would be experienced in the world. So what Jesus is saying is you don't just have a father. That would be amazing. You have a father in heaven. He's speaking of tenderness and strength, gentleness and authority. And notice that the prayers of awe and adoration They come before all other types of prayer. He tells us here to pray, hallowed be thy name before give us our daily bread. This type of prayer comes before. It's not that there's anything wrong necessarily by jumping in with your requests or going straight to the point, but there is something about being reminded, and Jesus is showing us this, there's something about being reminded and acknowledging who are we praying to? Who are we praying to? When he says, hallowed be thy name, Jesus is inviting us to be connected with reality. This is being connected with reality. You, you know that point of emptiness that I referenced in the beginning? When you bow your head and you got nothing. Nothing in your mind, nothing in your heart it seems. I used to feel like those were moments that I had to like frenzy something up and overcome them you know, somehow get, get past them, but I'm learning more and more that those moments are a gift, actually, than rather than something to overcome. You see, it's in those places of emptiness, connected to God's greatness, that I'm actually most confronted with reality. I got nothing, but he's got everything. <laughs> I don't have anything to bring right now, but he's the all-sufficient one. And so Jesus tells us to pray, Hallowed be thy name. Literally what that phrase means is make your name heavy. 
Make your name experienced. Make it heavy in the world. Make it heavy in my mind. Make it heavy in my affections. Make it heavy in my relationships. Make it heavy to me, God. Hallowed be thy name. And so I want you to think for a minute before we practice this prayer that everything else in your prayer life, everything else in your prayer life is circumstantial. Right? Everything else is circumstantial. The reason that you pray prayers of repentance is because you've sinned. It's based on that circumstance. The reason that you ask for things is because you need things. The reason that you seek healing is because you need it or you're sick. The reason that you intercede for things in this world is because evil stuff has happened. It's all circumstantial. But not prayers of adoration, not the hallowed be thy name prayer. This is the one thing that never changes. God never changes. He never diminishes. He never ceases to be good. And this prayer of awe, this prayer of adoration, it actually anchors us in reality. So Jesus says, pray hallowed, hallowed be your name. I want to offer you 30 seconds here and ask that God, the greatness of God's name would be felt and experienced in your heart, in your mind, and in the world. Our Father in heaven, best we know how and with everything we got in this moment, we ask, hallowed be thy name. Make your name heavy in this room and for us in this world. The third thing I want you to see today is prayer as intercession. Prayer as intercession. Asking the help of God. Notice verse 10. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So intercession is a big word. It's not a water cooler word. It's not a, water, uh, a word we throw around very often. So let me give brief definitions of what intercession is, what Jesus is doing here in these, in these verses. He's showing us that intercession is about yielding. It's prayer that's yielding to God's purposes and will for the world. And it's asking him to bring those things into reality. So it's yielding to God's purposes and will for the world. Intercession is realizing that you are powerless to bring about the flourishing that is needed for your life and for those around you. And that only God can bring the highest good into the world and meet our daily needs. Intercession is a kind of prayer here in verses 10 to 13. It's learning dependency upon God versus self-sufficiency. Maybe to say it one last way, intercession is learning to give your yes to the wisdom of God and his plans. It's learning to give your yes to the wisdom of God and his plans. So it's yes, I'm saying yes to the Father's sexual parameters. I'm saying yes to the Father's vision for my marriage and my singleness. I'm saying yes to the Father's call toward generosity. I'm saying yes to the Father's desire that I would love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. I'm saying yes to forgiving those who have hurt me. I'm saying yes to the Father's will and intercession. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let what's happening in the world happen just like it's happening in heaven, right? This is intercession. And so I want to give you 30 seconds here. And I want you to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. Think about relationships finances, evil in the world, and on and on. Let your kingdom come.
and your will be done. Father, let your kingdom come. Let everything about you in your hallowed name come into this world and happen in this room and in our neighborhoods and our families and in our homes just like it's happening in heaven. Would you order our lives, order the places that we enter into? Would your kingdom come and would your will be done? Amen. This last portion today is this, prayer as habit practicing daily prayer. I want you to notice something in this passage that maybe you, you picked up as we moved through it, but notice something that Jesus assumes about our relationship to prayer, Matthew 6. In verse 5, he says, and when you pray. In verse 6, he says, but when you pray. In verse 7, he says, and when you pray. And in verse 9, he says, so then pray then like this. Jesus assumes that prayer would be a habit. It would be a practice. It would sort of be ongoing. Even though you're saying amen, it's as though you're never saying amen. And when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray, pray then like this. So as I wrap up today, I want to show a quick survey of what the prayer life of Jesus looks like. In Mark 1.35, Jesus is recorded early in his life in ministry. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus praying in the morning. In Matthew 14, verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain and, he, and by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. So in the morning he was praying, in the evening he was praying, and in that reference in Matthew 14, that's right between feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. Quite a busy moment for Jesus. So in the busyness of life, he's praying. Matthew chapter, 36, or Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and there he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So before his suffering, praying. Luke chapter 23, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. In the middle of his suffering, praying, in the morning, in the evening, in the busyness of life, before the suffering, during suffering. Luke 23, verse 36. And then Jesus calling out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last and his final breath, praying. But that's not where the prayer ministry of Jesus ended. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 22 to 25. This makes Jesus the guarantee, the seal of a better covenant. Why? Well, because the former priests, they were many in number, but they were prevented from continuing in office because they died. <laughs> verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever risen from the dead, right? 25, consequently, he's able to do something. He's able to save you to the uttermost because you draw near to God through him. Why is he able to do that? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. So in the morning, he's praying. In the evening, he's praying. In the busyness of life, he's praying. 
Before his suffering, he's praying. In his suffering, he's praying. At his final breath, he's praying. While you've been hearing the sound of my voice through this entire sermon, he's praying. He's praying right now. He never ceases to make intercession for you as the one who's able to save you to the uttermost as you draw near to God through him. So how do we become people of prayer, you and me? A few quick things and we'll be done. The first is this. Pray what you've got. (laughs) You've been given a model prayer today, but there's also stuff that rumbles around inside of you. Pray what you got. Here's what I mean by that. John Chapman says it like this. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Pray as you can, not as you can't. You say, I can't pray all night. I can't do one of those prayer vigil things. Then don't do it. I can't pray for one hour straight. Then don't do it. I can't come up in front of people and pray during ministry time at the end of the church. Then don't do it. Pray as you can, not as you can't. But here's the question. How can you pray? How can you pray? You've been given a model prayer here today. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The point is pray like that. Pray as you can. C.S. Lewis says we ought to let us lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. So don't heap up empty phrases. Don't make up stuff that's eloquent like you don't ever else talk, but then talk to God that way. No, talk to God normal. Pray what's in you. Not what ought to be in you, not what you wish were there. Maybe ask him for those things, but pray what's in you. Pray as you can and lay before him what's in you. So much of the teaching of Jesus here is demystifying prayer for us so that we can be our true selves before our true Father and lay before him our hopes, our needs, our fears, and our desires. The point of this prayer here that Jesus gives us is that God actually cares for you. He's gone to such great lengths to make you his own. He wants to hear from you. He invites you to participate with him in prayer. The second thing I would say is this. Start small. So pray what you've got. Second thing, start small. There's this quote here from Richard Foster. If prayer is not a fixed habit with you, instead of starting with 12 hours of prayer-filled dialogue, single out a few moments and put all of your energy into them. I would suggest that in the beginning, it's wise to strive for an uneventful prayer experience. Besides, if you're unaccustomed to it, just slipping away into the presence of God can be so exotic and fresh that it would delight you enormously. So if you prayed and like nothing magical happened, it's okay. You have a father who's not just with you in the moment of prayer. He's now with you when prayer's over too. He's with you always. And so it's okay to carve out a few uneventful moments of prayer and be nourished there. Maybe that would itself be a great delight to you. I've got a few things that I do on my own that I offer you. Uh, There's a book that's come out recently called Be Thou My Vision. It's 31 daily liturgies for, for worship, personal worship. And at the end of each liturgy, it's got this whole deal of intercession. And it just has three bullet points. Personal, church, and world. Pray what you got. I don't know what to pray. Well, I, I got some stuff going on in my life. Maybe it's your marriage, your kids, your own life, relationships around you, personal. Second thing, church. We would love for you to pray for the leaders of our church, pray for one another, pray for your community groups, pray for the ministry of our church in this city. Personal, church, the third bullet is world. So pray for the world. Pray for God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That's a simple way of jumping in. 
Another thing I would encourage you to do is pray the Lord's Prayer. Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years have just taken up, if they had nothing else to pray, they could at least pray this. They could at least pray this. Take up the Lord's Prayer and sit with each phrase maybe and see if that would jog something to your mind or to your heart. Those are two simple ways to start small but to engage. This week, um, I was... uh, I wrapped up one evening sitting with one of our other pastors, uh, Dr. Jonathan Poe, who is, is a doctor in an eye clinic. And he walked in, and he had one of his longest-running patients uh, with him. He was a 70-year-old man. He's been walking with Jesus for 60 years. They've gotten to know that over the course of a decade, being a regular patient in his office. He walked into the visit with this patient, this client of his, and he noticed he was reading there a book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. And so we asked this patient, hey, what's, what are you reading there? Are you reading about the disciplines? And this 70-year-old man who's been walking with Jesus for 60 years said, you know, after 60 years of walking with Jesus, I've still got work to do. And that was the end of the story he told me that night over, over a little summertime fire when it was still cool early in the week, right? But I thought that was a powerful story for us today because the whole point of that man in his 70s, the whole point of us today, the whole point of us doing this series, talking about the simplicity of prayer, the whole point is just to stay on the road. Just to stay on, I, I was actually, my faith was nourished by this 70-year-old man that I heard about vicariously reading a book on the disciplines of the Christian life. Just trying to stay on the road because aren't there so many off-ramps? And isn't this world giving you so many reasons not to pray? And yet we're sitting there saying, I want to pray. I need to pray. I think if you're honest with yourself, you have to pray. Jesus gives us this model prayer. And I want to end today by us praying it together. It'll be on the screen. We can follow along just like a confession assurance. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Read it together. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.